Good morning. I'm Guy Adami. For you Fast Times at Richmond High fans out there, you'll recall that Nicholas Coppola was in the movie, but nobody ever heard of Nicholas Coppola. He changed his name to Nick Cage. March 6th, 1964. You're saying, what are you talking about, you maniac? Well, on that day, Cassius Clay changed his name to Muhammad Ali. Well, guess what? On October 7th, that's today, sucker, we're changing our name from at 1046 to Market Call. I'm Guy Adami. I'm still here with my dear friend, Dan Nathan. We got more time. The energy will be the same. We're still going to break down a macro call, highlight some of the biggest analyst calls of the week, and we'll introduce a new segment called Trade Off. Butters is still with us. And by the way, check this out. We just happen to have the great Carter Braxton Worth from Worth Charting joining us. Tune in each week for more surprises, and there will be surprises. God only knows what I'm capable to do. Today's episode of Market Call is brought to you by our presenting sponsors, Backset, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And of course, our friends at Open Exchange, Dan, because as you know, and as Carter will learn, they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Hi, Dan. Wow, Guy Dami. I mean, this is kind of big here. You know what we did with this name? We did, what do they call that when you put some letters together and it means something that, that it's not the sort of thing? You know it's what I mean? Synonym. A synonym. Yeah, well, not really. <laughs> it's it's called, a, it's kind of like an acronym. We did the ah. MKT. That's what all the kids are doing today. They're abbreviating things. Listen, I'm super excited about this. We're just going to have, we had so much to say at 1046. We just said, you know what? You're going to have to book us for a half an hour at 11 a.m. Yeah, sure. Eastern, right? That's what's going to happen here. This is a virtual meeting that matters. We picked 11 o'clock because markets start to settle down a little bit after the opening here, Guy Dami, right? We got, we got plenty to say here. So we're really excited about it. Thank you again, Open Exchange. Thank you to FactSet. You're going to see FactSet's data. You're going to see their charts. You're going to see John Butter's earnings insight. We get a preview every Thursday. So should and we get we into it? No, we should get into it. And you market settling down. Well, it's doing anything but settling down today. And let's bring in Carter Braxtonworth. Carter, how are you? I am very good. How are you, sir? It's wonderful to have you join Thank us. You. Listen, Dan, we have a call from our dear friend. We call him Rosie, uh, David Rosenberg. That's our macro call. And it's interesting. You know, I love his work. I think Carter does as well. 70% of the recent run-up in market-based inflation expectations has come simply from the move in crude oil. Clearly. The question is, does this move in crude continue or are we going to stop here like we did over the summer? Now, this is, as they say, what makes markets. What I'll tell you, Dan and Carter, I think this crude oil move is going to continue. I can understand why people would say it's going to fade here. Dan, what say you? Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, I think there's just a really unique setup right now with the supply demand dynamics. We know that the kind of reopening trade or globally has had lots of fits and starts. Delta this summer really threw, I think, a monkey wrench on that. Some of the kind of commentary that we got out of OPEC, uh, OPEC Plus last week has not really helped. That's why we had these new 52-week highs. I'll just say this. When you think about the lines that we saw for petrol guy over there in the UK, I don't think there's too many politicians, especially here in the U.S., who'd like to see that or who are currently in power here. So I kind of feel like, listen, 
Earlier in the summer, when we saw crude kind of getting up towards 80, there were a lot of calls for 90, then 100 for a whole host of reasons. And what happened? It sold off like 20% over the next month and a half or so. And so I just kind of feel like the calls for $100 crude, um, I think some of these bottlenecks are likely to abate over the next couple of months, and maybe we see greater supply. So to me, I do think I'm kind of in Rosie's camp here. I think we probably see this thing turn the other way a little bit. Carter? Before we bring, before we bring CBW in, um, great movie with Burt Reynolds was Deliverance. And the song in that movie, if you recall, which I know you both do, was Dueling Banjos. We're going to have some dueling charts. So let's take a look at your chart first here, Dan. This is the crude chart that we want to look at. Then I'm going to bring in CB Dubs. Because yeah. he's going to have his dueling chart on the other side. So talk to me about this, Dan Nathan. Yeah, I mean, listen, we had that breakout. I think what's important here is that kind of sentiment spike into that OPEC plus sort of news. And I think that, you know, we kind of pulled back below that a little bit. Let's see if we can hold that uptrend. That's just a purely technical thing. And obviously that rising 200-day moving average, I know Carter likes to look at something different. I mean, this is purely technical, but it's also sentiment. And it's also what I think about some of the fundamentals for crude going forward. So to me, you know, Carter, I'd love to get your take, though. Sure, Forget the chart. Forget the yeah. chart for now. I, I want to hear what you have to say about Rosie's call here. Well, I mean, what we know, there used to be in history a, a pretty good rule of thumb that if you got a doubling in crude oil in any given short-term period, call it six or nine months, it would uh, set off a recession. Uh, now, obviously, we know that as an input to total costs uh, for running a business or running a household, energy goes lower and lower uh, versus historical periods. So we don't have that circumstance. And I don't think this is what this is. We're not going to set off a recession because crude has jumped to essentially $80 a barrel. Um, but I'm, I'm in the lower yields camp that crude really doesn't um, head off to 85, 90. I just, I don't see that. And indeed, if in fact that's what's coming, then you will have a certain pressures on the consumer and ultimately I think pressures on the market, the general equity market. You brought with you, Carter, a great crude oil chart we want to take a look at. You've done so, a wonderful job drawing these lines. Speak to me, well, CB. Yeah. All right. Well, first, if we have Dan, let's go back and look at Dan's lines. I don't know if we can go backwards there. If not, uh, we'll look at mine. So Dan is highlighting the importance of the prior peak, right? So that was July 6th. And we return right to it. In principle, as a general rule of thumb in charting, before you can exceed a former high, you contend with it. So even though it went a little bit higher, that's not what's important. It's in the process of contending with that former peak as people from that level in July are just getting their money back or selling in. So this is a normal process. Again, breaking out is something that is a longer term in nature. Before you really break out, you back and fill. And, and Dan has, has really annotated that quite well. In terms of the way I would say drawing the lines on a little bit longer term basis, and you can see that in the chart that I have, uh, we're basically kind of on trend. Crude is not extended. It's not steep the way we know nat gas has been steep or the way lumber got steep. And so in that sense, it is pretty orderly. And if and as we can do the sequencing of contending with the high from July, and we are right now, then in principle, we can exceed it. And the implications well, are mid-80s. Well, one of the great singer-songwriters of my era, Neil Sedaka, wrote a song called <laughs> Breaking Out is Hard to Do. And clearly that's the case here. But it's all contingent upon 10-year yields. Let's take a look here because, listen, again, you know what I think, Dan Nathan. I think we're headed right back to that 175 level. I think you feel differently. This chart speaks to that. I don't know if this is a hungry crocodile or something like that, but 
We seem to be through that downward trend line, or maybe it's just a bit of a false breakout. Thoughts, Dan Nathan? Yeah, yeah. Carter had a little snicker there because you know you you and I have been doing we've been we've been doing charts with Carter on CNBC. I mean, you and I for twelve years probably guy you a bit longer here. We like to make up stupid names. I know over the years when you're not on the show, Carter, and you see me coming up with one of these dumb oh, these, charting yeah. formations, you're just rolling <laughs> your eyes. And, reverse squirrel formation. Who knows what? Something crazy, right? Yeah. No. I, I mean, so, you know, my take is this, is that guy, you say 175 on the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. The last time we were there, it was for different reasons than right now. I mean, at the time, I think the expectation is that the, the pandemic was going to be in the rearview mirror. Growth was going to start to come back in a, in a way that was constructive, where the Fed could start kind of taking their foot off the pedal in a way that wouldn't aggravate markets or the economy, that sort of thing. Now, it feels like it's only going up, or they are only going up because of inflation expectations. So without getting too wonky, you know, I just don't see rates going up too far, too fast anytime soon. And maybe it seems like the Fed has got enough cover to kind of take their foot off the taper pedal here a little bit. So I don't know. I love this chart. Carter drew it. You speak to it, bud. Yeah, I mean, the issue is, are we at a, at a critical inflection point? And that, and that really is it, both from the fundamental or economic point of view or the technicals, which in principle come together at the same time at the same place. And so while we have slightly moved above that well-defined downtrend line, in effect, uh, since the peak at three and a quarter back uh, two years ago, three years ago, the question is, does it really have the torque and oomph, as the word is, to press on to meaningfully higher rates, which is when Guy says 175, is there a difference between 175 155? Probably not. Or one four five. The real issue that all uh, equity managers and, and fixed income managers have to grapple with is that's fine, but could it be two and a half? Could it be three? And what are the implications of that? And uh, by all accounts, I think people betting on that are not going to be rewarded. Put this in context. At when we hit one seven seven back there in March, consensus for the end of the year was two point three. Of course, when yields collapsed back to one one two, that was abandoned. And now it's starting to be embracing a consensus is for the end of the year around one four. We were, you know, it's always moving. The reality is rates are stuck and I don't think they're going meaningfully higher. And my ultimate bet is that they head lower. So Dan and Dan, Dan and CB Dubs in the same camp. I dig that. You know what? I like, I, first of all, I could hear you say oomph all day long, but what has some <laughs> oomph today is the S and P 500. I got to tell you yesterday, I was looking pretty smart. When the S&P was trading down to 42.70, it felt like that 41.50 level that I've been talking about along with Dan was in the crosshairs for sure. Obviously, what a difference a day make to quote a song. But Dan, you drew this chart. Let's talk about it because the bounce, the reversal yesterday was powerful. Obviously, the follow through today on the back of maybe some chatter out of Washington, D.C., we'll see question is, do we sustain this? Yeah, it's interesting to think that that debt ceiling was really the reason why we sold off. And I think all the reasons we were talking about inflation and rates moving higher, I think that's why the S&P 500 sold off 5.5% from those highs last month. I think the range in which they were kind of like moving around over the last week, just above that kind of support level from the July lows, and that was that kind of Delta variant kind of spook, uh, spook out that we got back then, that was only like a 25 3% peak to try off the climb in the summer um, kind of tells you that they wanted to kind of 
find some footing here. That downtrend from the highs, I think, is really interesting. I think that uptrend from the late October, early November 2020 lows is going to be an interesting level. But let me tell you something. We get back up there and we're kind of contending with that as to use a term that CB dubs would say, well, 4,500, man, we are just a whisper away from all time highs and you're, you know, all bets are off. So, um, you know, as we get closer towards the end of the year and we get by some of these spooky sort of headwinds, if you will, um, you know, maybe it is new highs. Carter, what do you got for us here, man? Because well, I drew some lines. I drew yeah, lines some are lines. good. Lines are good. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's it's all about uh, the second sequence of filling the gap. We know that when we had that plunge, right, which was on on, on the twentieth, and we dropped as low as forty three hundred, we quickly ricocheted by the dip crowding effect, and we filled the gap that was left behind. Today, we are in the process of filling, and the VIX gap was filled. The sole unfilled gap in the history of the VIX, eleven hundred of them going back to data in 1990s, was filled today. And we're in the process today of filling the gap from the 28th of September. But the concept is that after selling off meaningfully, 6% plus minus, and ricocheting quickly, which we have, you return to a level of overhead supply where interested sellers lie in wait, people wanting to recoup losses, grateful for the move that's just occurred, not to mention, People who bought well, dumb locker brilliance off the low two, three days ago, they're itching to grab these gains. Some people have big gains already. And so we're into overhead supply. It's a difficult one. NASDAQ, obviously, the next thing we need to look at, obviously heavily weighted towards a handful of names as we've talked about. Obviously, the move in Facebook has not been particularly pleasant for the NDX holders. But again, much like the S&P 500, Dan, we've gotten off the mat. And now we're contending with this downtrend line. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing, though, when you think about it. You just go back to that early November low, look at the March low. And back in March, you know, the NASDAQ, that was when rates really were at their highs right here. The NASDAQ, those major like big growth names were underperforming pretty dramatically. We bounced again um, off of that uptrend. And then literally, as Carter would say, to the penny um, just last week. So, you know, the same would hold as far as that downtrend. It's pretty um, dramatic if you think about it. I think we got to focus on earnings a little bit here. And I would also mention that with the market right now, I'm looking at the S&P up 1.45%. This is um, obviously Thursday at 11.15 or so. I see Apple up 1.2%. I see Microsoft up 1%. I see Amazon and Google kind of outperforming, but I see Facebook unchanged. So that's what you're going to be dealing with right now in this environment. If those five names can't outperform, then ultimately, if there's a reason to sell, then I think we head lower here. And again, I can't put too fine a point on the fact that earnings season is coming in a big, big way, right? And if there's any fundamental reasons to sell any of these stocks, and it could be because of input costs, it could be whether these companies have to make a decision to pass on some of these higher costs or take a hit to their margins. And we've already seen that. FedEx and Nike. We've seen some examples of this. So I'm not overly optimistic that Q4 guidance is going to be so hot and supportive of equity valuations with rates where they are right now. Carter, one of your favorite sayings is to the penny. If you look at this chart, the uptrend line we have drawn here is to the penny. Can you speak it, to it, that? It sure what is, you right? I mean, and that's the, that's the importance of levels. It's So what makes a level? I mean, one would, if one's sitting around digging around their Qs and Ks, trying to talk to management, why did it stop there? Because charts matter. I'm not, I'm not selling anything. You, everyone that's on here knows that charts matter. And the great moves in markets are often 
uh, identifiable, right? And so the level is precise. The reaction to the trend line is with authority. But what it now is in play is that downward uh, sloping red minor trend line that Dan is drawing, which is to say that we're now up three and a half percent in three sessions. You will start to encounter two types of memory. People who are in from a higher price who say, wow, I should grab some of this. I've been, I've been returned to where I was. I've recouped losses. And again, memory from below. People who bought maybe off the chart for a bounce off the green line or for whatever reason, they're starting to hit, wait, I'm up 4% in this stock. I'm up seven. And so that all kind of happens right here and you get to a point of overhead supply. It's a well-defined uh, circumstance or concept and that's where we are. Of course, memories being a Marvin Hamlish, I believe, Barbara Streisand collaboration. <laughs> well, what, what I have a memory of is this RTY, which has been now trading sideways, Carter, since March. Effectively, when we topped out in yields, this is now trading sideways. I would, again, posit that the RTY, the small caps, are trying to figure out what they want. Do they want higher rates indicative of economic growth, or do they want rates just to stay here? They haven't figured it out, but the, we continue to get in this sort of pennant formation, CBW. What are your thoughts here? Right. So I, I think it's the precondition that defines this standoff. So the steep, unrelenting ascent of the April-June period. At that point, essentially in June, the spread between the S&P 500 and the Russell 2000 on a trailing six and 12 month basis was basically as wide as ever, ever been, going back to 1978. And so this sideways action is in response to the preceding strength, right? After a great moment of, of, of strength, you exert yourself in any endeavor, at, in the weight room or in the library, you have to rest, right? Because if you push it too far, you have a card. Right, or in the library, you burn your eyes out. So this is, the question is, this rest, and it's a big one, right? You're talking about almost eight months now. Is it resolved up or down? The truth is, Dan, nobody has a clue as the answer to that. What North, we do yeah. know, it's a perfect equilibrium. Yes, uh, my hunch is it's not breaking out to the upside. Yeah, Guy Dami here. I got to get your take here because, um, you know, the Russell, um, you know, obviously domestically focused here, rent rate sensitive, um, you know, has gone sideways, as you said, over the last six months, has not confirmed any of the new highs. Um, it leads me kind of to the dollar here, the mm -hmm. U.S. dollar here. And I know that, you know, for you, you had a great call early, um, you know, this year about that sell off. We had that sell off, but it really feels like it wants to move higher. We've talked about euro and some of the things that are going on there. What's your take on the dollar? How does it feed into this conversation as it would talked about commodities as we talk about rates? Because the only thing that I know is that each time in which the Fed is supposedly going to taper or come off ZERP and rates go higher, the dollar goes higher here. Um, the chart, and we'll let Carter speak to it in a second. I'd love to get his sort of fundamental take too. What's your take here, Guy Dami, on this U.S. dollar? Well, we're in this, first of all, I never thought we'd revisit the levels we're seeing now, sort of this 93 and a half, 94 level. But to your point, it makes sense given the backdrop of right, rates rising and the, and the potential for the Fed to maybe move quicker than the market anticipates. And that's what we're seeing here. I still would submit, though, that um, the dollar is going to find weakness at a certain point. I think we're at that level now. If you're trading it, I think the risk reward for a dollar short makes a lot of sense, although I could understand why a lot of people would say, you know, we're at the verge of a breakout. Guy, if you think rates are going higher, almost by definition, you must think rates are going higher, uh, the dollar's going higher as well. We'll see. I'm not so sure. Carter, though, in terms of the chart, this looks extraordinarily strong for a continued move to the upside in the U.S. dollar. 
Well, all right, for starters, what a nice chart. Right? Look at all those colors. I, I had some fun with this one. There's red, there's green, and there's blue. The point is, sometimes you just keep it pretty straightforward. The point of those green, uh, the green line, and the point of the blue arrows is to call attention to the authority of this level. It has a lot of precision. It has authority, meaning it's been in effect not for a month, not for three months, but for a long time. And we see how symmetrical uh, the double bottom is. Uh, you can call that a head and shoulders. It doesn't matter what you call it. What it is, though, has all of the hallmarks of something that's reversed from bearish to bullish. Here and now, does it break out? I think it's going to stay here stuck for a little bit longer. It's responding to rates, uh, surely, or rates are responding to it, or they're in unison. But it's not quite ready to break out. I think uh, it, it's, it's time and place, time and place, and the time and place is not. It's not this week. It's not this month. It's, yeah. it's likely to be here for a while. Yeah, and I would just say this, that, that, that that's fine. I mean, you know, what would be the occurrence in which it would cause, you know, uh, the breakout? It would probably be some rate move that goes back to those highs, um, you know, from earlier this year. I'd just say this, bring it back to the stock market, bring it back to corporate earnings. I mean, this would be the sort of thing if the dollar were to move higher and then a lot of U.S. multinationals, which have already got the benefit from a lot of the stimulus, right, that consumer balance sheets have been in good uh, in shape, that sort of thing. If we really start to focus on how they're going to do in the next few quarters around the world, a strong dollar might be a bit of a problem. That's all I was going to say for corporate earnings and margins, that sort of thing. But let's talk really quickly about Bitcoin, Carter, because, you know, you brought a chart here. We're talking you know, we mentioned this kind of debt ceiling thing. It looks like they kicked the can down the road a little bit. And, you know, one of the things that I would just mention as we think about um, what are some of those sorts of um, fear sort of like things that investors reach for, right? It used to be gold. It used to be inflation hedge. And we have this period of higher inflation expectations, but gold hasn't gone anywhere. But look what's happened to Bitcoin. That bounce off that uptrend that you drew so beautifully here my view very clearly is gold's dead, it's gone. And I know that Guy and I have talked about this a lot. I think every incremental dollar that's going into a store of value or an inflation hedge is going into digital gold, which is Bitcoin. What is your take technically right sure, here? Sure. Because that's a well, pretty good setup. Yeah, here. I mean, first thing is, I mean, I'm not in the camp that gold is gone. I mean, I think people thought energy was gone and here it is coming to life or or, or, or any other, I mean, we there are cycles, right? And so ultimately, and gold will have its day, and gold is an important asset class. Let's just say it that way. But uh, here and now, gold, to your point, is not attracting capital. It's not uh, in play. What is in play, obviously, is Bitcoin. And uh, to the principles of levels, Bitcoin has responded to the penny, uh, just as the NASDAQ or any other instrument often does, to a well-defined trend line. And Yet we're now approaching, this is what converging lines are all about, right? You, you get into the apex uh, of this sort of formation and you, you get resolved. Uh, the bulls obviously think it's going to get resolved up. Notice how yields, the yield chart, that was the same thing, just in a different circumstance. So after any great move, you have a series of basically lower highs, higher lows. You can see that here. And we're, we're churning. We're working into a major inflection point. Uh, Ultimately, you have to assume this is going to be higher. Our first call of the day comes in the form of my ex-employer, Goldman Sachs, downgrading American Airlines to sell JetBlue to neutral. The one we want to focus is JetBlue. By the way, JetBlue reports on the 26th, and they did give guidance on September 9th. Dan, Nathan, you brought with you a JetBlue chart. I happen to like this call. Good for Goldman Sachs ahead of earnings uh, later this month. 
Yeah, I, I like these sorts of calls also in front of an earnings event where people obviously are pretty focused on, but the company's already pre-announced, right? And so we know that we, you know, that a lot of the bad news is probably out of the way. One of the reasons why this chart is interesting to me and why I'm long it, I, I like their focus on domestic and non, um, you know, business travel here. And I've been on a bunch of JetBlue flights just in the last few weeks or so. They're all packed. We know that capacity is going to come back um, online. I, I know that higher input costs could be a sort of issue here. But look at that line that I drew down there around 14 bucks. I just think that every time it gets back down there, I kind of reload. I don't really see a scenario where this thing should break down too meaningfully. And from a sentiment standpoint, up about 8% of the year, but down about 30% from the highs. I kind of like the setup. We already know the bad news. I'm not sure it gets much worse from here. I like the valuation. I like their domestic focus here. This one looks okay to me. Paul McCartney and Wings did an amazing job. They went from Venus and Mars into rock show into Jets CBW. You brought with us a Jets chart. <laughs> yeah. So look at look at this fact set chart. How nice is that? Right here, here too. <laughs> look at those colors. You've got nice contrast. But let me say something first before we talk about this ETF. And what a cute symbol, right? Jets. I mean, JetBlue. You have Morgan Stanley has a price target at 28, and Goldman Sachs has it 17. And just contemplate that. This has to do with those firms are right or wrong, the men or women who are covering it uh, are right or wrong. How can two people, two individuals or teams of individuals who have access to the same balance sheet and the same telephone to call management, call, uh, in, study the industry, study consumer trends, study travel trends, and how can one firm think it's worth $28 a share in the next one month and one think it's worth 17? That is the problem with the fundamentals. Let's look at the chart of Jets. What do we know? This thing was dead flat before the pandemic, meaning an underperformer, massive underperformer, stock market surging before a uh, 100-year storm, uh, literally, right, uh, COVID. And then it underperforms during COVID, of course, literally collapses. And notice on that recovery in the first approach back some six months ago, where does it stop? The move right when it got back to overhead supply. And the concept is there are people who give it a chance to be, get their money back, act, they seize on it, right? And so when you encounter overhead supply, it's not some fancy term or technical mumbo jumbo, it's a basic principle of where shares were purchased and then people who lost money but didn't sell are given a chance and take it to get their money out. And so you see how it backs off and now back to a trend line and we're, we're finding support. My hunch is to be long but small. Our second call is from Jeffrey's Richard Handler's ex Drexel's firm. They're upgrading Square. Square's going to report, Dan, on or about November 10th. This is interesting. Carter mentioned the width, the, the, the chasm that you can drive a truck through in terms of price targets. Well, here's for Square. Price targets ranging from 185 to 380. Average price target is 308. Um, assume buy at Jeffrey's, a must own stock, which, you know, I happen to agree with. The chart will tell you. Bit of a double top. Uh, but maybe the sell-off is enough as we head into earnings around November 10th, Dan. Yeah, so going back to, Guy, you didn't even smirk at, at, at Carter's mention of the funny mentals. Um, I, I love, I, I, I love that. That, that. That was a, that was a, a little bit of a, a, a rock throw at, at you and me, you know, kind of making sense <laughs> of all this stuff here. No, but, um, you know, I, I find this call an interesting one, especially for stock that's been very volatile this year. It had a massive run off the 2020 lows, and I think, obviously, a lot of behavior 
here, um, whether it be small businesses, whether it be consumers with a cash app, whether it be their move into crypto, um, you know, they just benefited, right? And they've grown um, their business dramatically. Um, the stock has gone sideways. It's underperforming the NASDAQ. It's underperforming the S&P 500 here. The valuation is a bit heady. I think that would be the one issue. It's got $115 billion market cap, trades about five times sales, which is not egregious for some of its comps, that sort of thing. It really is that earnings multiple north of 100 times. So we got to see that. We know that they just made this massive acquisition of this buy now, pay later company, um, payability. Uh, that will be interesting to see um, how that works into um, you know the kind of valuation here. But to me, listen, I would have loved to have seen this thing get back down towards that support that it's touched on a few different occasions. Um, that would be probably a decent level here. Carter, what's your take on the charts here? I mean, here? look, this, this, is, this is what a pair of twos is, right? In, in, in poker, uh, the truth is that without having five random cards, because that's nothing, the smallest hand you can have, not a pair of eights, not three of nine, is a pair of twos. And in principle, you should fold when you have a pair of twos. It's not a good hand. You've already got your ante lost. Get out before you put any money. Do we short this? Why? Why? Based on what? Do we play for the breakout? Okay. Says who? It's just stuck. It's not interesting. It's got no character. And as you point out, it's relative performance is poor. Why not get our capital into something more interesting, more immediate than trying to fight a hard fight like this? You see what you learned from CBW's a pair of twos, just throw the cards away. Well, you know, we're not going to throw away this next segment that we're calling trade-off. Now, as you, most of you know, um, when somebody's out, the folks at the options action will ask me to fill in. As a matter of fact, I think I'm the most often fill in a person they've had and always one of my favorite shows. Dan Nathan does a wonderful piece for, we call them Fido. Oddly enough, Dan's been bullish on the Blackstone and Carter's been bearish. Carter, I want to take a look at your chart. What are you seeing, CBW, in terms of the BX? And then we're going to talk to Dan. Sure. Well, I mean, the first thing jumps out, it's had a hell of a run. <laughs> I mean, so, and and then, then there's this. It's the single best performing financial stock in the S&P over the past five years. It's also, of late, cracking hard. It's got a peak to trough decline of 17%. And while it's stabilizing, um, one thing we do know is that this is one of the longest stretches on record in terms of duration, forget about the magnitude, but also in terms of magnitude without a proper check back to the 150 moving average. And so, um, sure, it can bounce day to day, but I think this has to be characterized this way. One, an, an exceptional run-up, a champion that now is exhibiting poor relative performance to its peers, if it has any peers, if you will. It's not a bank, it's not a broker, but to the financials in general. And I would characterize a champion on the ropes. We know it's a great performer, but it's not acting well. A champion on the ropes then, Nathan. That would be uh, the aforementioned Muhammad Ali against George Foreman for the first six rounds until the fight turned. Talk to me about your short-term chart, Dan. Yeah, so my, my view is a, a slightly different one. And listen, I got to give you a shout out, Guy. I mean, Carter just said is the best performing financial stock over the last five years. I don't think you've wavered for one second over the last five years. I think I've heard you kind of recommend this stock um, probably you know dozens of times. And, and I mean that really seriously. Um, my view, quite simply, is I look at that, um, you know, that run up here. We're still up 70 percent, like to Carter's point. 
Hell of a run here. I look where it stopped on Monday's sell-off to the penny, right, of that low from earlier in the summer in August. And I just think that you have a potential for a ricochet into their earnings on a very near-term basis towards the end of this month. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, Carter likes to do on Options Action or I do on In the Money with Fidelity is we're looking at ways to kind of define our risk. I was looking at an In the Money call to play for a bounce, possibly back towards that up trend that will be resistance in the near term. But if the fundamentals and the guidance for Q4 are good, this stock's going to be on its way back up here. Um, so I, I just like it from a near-term basis, but I see what Carter sees. That 150-day moving average that he's focused on, that's down there at 101. If it breaks here, then it's probably going back towards there. But that's why I wanted to find my risk and play for a near-term bounce. You 1046 fans out there, you're saying to yourself, self, I hope they didn't forget about Butters. No, we didn't forget about Butters. Relax, cool your jets. One for the road is from our friend, Mr. Butters. Negative impact. Dan, I know you like to speak to his work because he does extraordinarily thoughtful work and he ain't going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, no. So John Butters, he gives us a fresh look or an early peek at his earnings insight that drops on Fridays. That's from FactSet. Check it out, people. I, it is a read, a weekly read of mine every week. So we appreciate um, the work there. And again, I think this is a really useful piece as we think about the small amount of companies, the S&P 500, they've already reported and their mentions of supply chain disruptions and um, bottlenecks and, you know, kind of foreign exchange headwinds, that sort of thing. Keep an eye on these things. These are going to be really important as we get into Q3 earnings season over the next couple of weeks here. And I just, you know, one thing I'll just caution is that a big bounce into earnings might not be a great setup for what is likely to be some downbeat Q4 guidance. And keep an eye on that GDP for Q3. It has come down from high single digits to low single digits here. And that might be reflective of some of the trends that we see in corporate earnings also. Carter, drop some wisdom on me before we get out of here. Well, I mean, you know, the, the history of earnings revisions, the history of earnings calls, and there's all, think about it, if you don't cite something, then there's not much to talk about. So they got to cite COVID, or they got to cite currency, or they got to cite the weather. There's always something on there. Ah, you know, listen, uh, just for what it's worth, and if you say, oh, well, you're just a chart monkey. Listen, I did fundamentals for years at the highest level. Uh, I haven't touched a Q or a K in 25 years. If you can't sleep, some people take Ambien. For me, I get out one of those Qs and Ks, I'm, I'm out in like a light. That's what I think what? about that whole thing. I love Carter. I, you know what? I do love Carter. I've gotten to know him over literally, I think, the last 15 years. He's truly one of my favorite people. He's earnest, but he's hardworking, and he is just a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us, Carter. And folks, you. you might get lucky. You might be seeing CB-dubs a lot more. We'll see. Today's market call has been brought to you by our presenting sponsors. Dan, please get ready. FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And, of course, our friends at Open Exchange because, Dan, they manage virtual meetings that what? That matter, Guy Dami. That matter for the top companies around the world. We'll see you next Thursday, 11 a.m. for Market Call.